Hey everyone, welcome back to Here to Apologetics. So pumped you're joining us today. Today I have Bram Rawlings. You're going to be running to the Counter Apologist on the Resurrection. Bram, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. A little sleep deprived, but that's the life yep. of a college student halfway through the semester. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. So today we're going to be running to a video by Counter Apologist on his countering the argument for the Resurrection. And we're going to be talking about miracles and fire probability and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so before we get into it, Bram, do you have anything you want to say? Well, not really, other than I'm excited. And thanks for having me on, Zach. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you can. there's a link down below for Brams. You can follow Brams' um, great content, and we're going to dive right in. So we're going to get started with this clip. We're going to play pretty much just straight through, um, and we're going to pause it bits. And, yeah, it's going to be really good. So let's get started. What if I told you that I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, but that I did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and denied that belief in his death and resurrection was the path to salvation and eternal life and reconciliation with the one true God, Yahweh? That would just sound crazy, right? I want you to think about why that sounds crazy. It's not hard to find an answer, because we assume that miracles are evidence for the truth of the philosophical and theological teachings of the miracle worker. This assumption goes unstated when apologists use the argument for the resurrection, but it is absolutely central to the argument. The principle is even endorsed in the Bible in 1 Kings 18. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The story of Elijah is about him demonstrating that his God is the true God, whereas the prophets of Baal worship a false God, because Elijah's God can work miracles, but the prophets of Baal can't get their God to do the same. The idea is that, like God sending fire from the sky to burn a wet altar, or a person rising from the dead, it would be evidence for the truth of the teachings of the miracle worker. I want you to keep this thought in the back of your mind as we go through this video countering the argument for the resurrection of Jesus. I am countering the resurrection argument in a very specific way. My aim is to debunk the argument as it is used specifically as a means to convert non-Christians into Christians, as well as to counter the idea that Christians remain in their faith due to any supposed strength that is in the historical argument for the resurrection of Jesus. Typically, the resurrection argument is presented as the capstone to a cumulative case apologetic presented by Christians to convert atheists and agnostics into new believers. The plan is to use a series of arguments to convince the skeptic that a monotheistic God exists, and then to bridge the gap from theism to Christianity with the argument for the resurrection. My purpose here is to show exactly why this doesn't work. Alrighty, great place to start, Bram. I'll leave it to you to start. Kind of leave your thoughts and what you think about what he's got going on. Yeah, well, um, I find this a little peculiar. He's saying that, um, for example, in the case of um, 1 Kings 18 verses 20 through 40, where, you know, you have that situation with Elijah and he tests the prophets of Baal. And he says, look, if, if Baal is the true God, call Baal and call down fire and um, see if, you know, you get fire. But I'm going to call down fire from Yahweh, and fire comes from Yahweh, but fire does not come from Baal. And um, it seems obvious to me, at least, that if we take a certain hypothesis and call it H, and in this situation, H is that Yahweh is Israel's true God, then H predicts that in that situation, um, Yahweh will you know, give Elijah fire. And the fact that Elijah does find fire is evidence for H. Um, the same applies to Jesus's resurrection. Um, if our hypothesis is that Jesus is God incarnate, or our, hyp our hypothesis is that Christianity is true, um, H predicts that Jesus will rise from the dead. And if we find positive evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead, that's evidence that H is true. And if H is true, then you should follow Jesus's teachings. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I kind of, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing where he's coming from here. But um, then again, he might, he might clarify later down the road. So I want to give him, the, yeah. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of work to go. <laughs> Lots of clips. I mean, one thing I do want to say like on the outset is like, I'm not going to agree with the notion that only Christianity has miracles. Um, it's like, I believe in that other supernatural beings that can be active in other religions. Uh, like you look at like Michael Heiser in the unseen realm. So like with reference to first Kings, like nowhere does this passage deny the existence of other spiritual beings outside of Christianity, just that like Yahweh is supreme, um, which is an important thing to think about in my view, as we were going to kind of progress forward with this video. So that's the only thing I wanted to put out there. Yeah. He's Alrighty, the let's get... God. Yes. 
Let's get in this next clip. The argument for the resurrection comes in many forms, but they all eventually come back down to referencing the Bible stories about Jesus being crucified and resurrected. They are all based on testimonial evidence for a miracle occurring in the past, and unfortunately for Christians, testimony cannot be used in an evidential way to justify belief in a miracle claim in the world we live in. That is what my first argument will be addressing. Now what if I told you that I woke up in my bed in New Jersey this morning, and then had lunch on the moon, and then was here home on Earth for dinner? You probably wouldn't believe me. Now let's pretend we're in the universe of Star Trek The Next Generation. My same statement about waking up on Earth, eating lunch on the moon, and then being back on Earth for dinner would be extremely plausible, and you wouldn't bat an eye at that same statement if you were living in that universe. The difference is the background knowledge in each case. In Star Trek, there are transporters that can span an incredible distance in a second, not to mention galaxy-class starships that make such a feat possible. In the real world, only a handful of human beings have undergone the training and incredible journey via rocket spacecraft to make it to the moon, a process that takes a lot longer than a day. Now, what if my statement was about me doing something physically impossible that no level of technology can overcome? How much more unbelievable would that be? Our entire lives, we build on this background knowledge about how the world works. Science reveals to us that the regularities in the way the physical world behaves can be quantified by certain mathematical equations. It is predictable. It always behaves according to these equations, which we have come to call the laws of nature. Okay, so next clip here, we're talking about miracles and stuff. Where do you want to take it, Brian? There's kind of a lot to respond there. Um... <laughs> Well, the first thing he said is that testimony cannot be used in an evidential way for a miracle. Um, and that just seems like a completely arbitrary restriction to me. Um, if a miracle happens, it seems like we'd expect there to be some testimony about it. And thus, miracle if a miracle happened, it would likely predict um, testimony. Therefore, testimony is evidence that a miracle happened. Testimony of a miracle, that is. Um, now, whether that testimonial evidence can be better explained by another hypothesis, that's another question, and that's where we get into um, debates about, you know, what criteria are needed for, um, for these kind of things, and to sift between good testimony and bad testimony, etc. But we're going to bring that up later. Um, what else did he say? While I'm thinking, why don't you uh, go ahead and say something? Yeah, so I I think in part, like, so justification is ultimately, like, person-based. Like, I can't, like, I believe uh, the counterpolitist's name is John. Like, I can't, like, force John to believe something, like, say, like, the miracles are possible. Cause I'm sure he, he thinks that, like, miracles don't occur. Um, so, like, if he hasn't witnessed any miracles, like, that's fine. But, like, in terms of, like, the argument for the resurrection, we're going to need a little bit more than that. And I'm going to just, just, I'm going to block the notion that most people kind of agree that there are no miracles. Like it's a very Western idea to claim that there mm -hmm. are no miracles, which is something that we're going to get into further as we keep going. Um, probably most of the world believes in miracles. It's just this like thin select group of people, mostly in the West that deny the existence of miracles. Um, but I mean, justification is person-based. So it's going to depend on your background knowledge and how you think about these things. Um, and I don't want to just like be that person that just like slams Craig Keener's book at people, but like there are people that are actually like, looking at this and studying this. So it's not like this is just something that's like totally like undocumented or anything. Um, so that's really what I wanted to say at this clip. Yeah. And um, well, there, there kind of is a danger in getting in a circular argument here. Um, if you just reject a priori millions and millions of, um, you know, miracle claims on the basis that people don't experience them. Well, that's obviously a circular argument. I'm not saying that's exactly what he's doing here. I'm just saying that there, there's a danger of, um, of doing that. Um, also, I, I do have to, I want to critique the way he actually assumes, um, or sorry, I do want to critique the way he actually calculates this background evidence and what evidence he finds relevant as background evidence. But I'm, I think I'm going to wait on that when he uh, starts talking about that more. So, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Let's keep on going. We have a lot of clips today, guys, so that's why it's on one and a half speed for the counterpologist video. So that's why we're going with. When philosopher David Hume formulated this argument, he defined a miracle as a violation of the laws of nature, which he admitted a god could do if one existed. I think it is a pretty good definition, but many apologists spend a lot of time attacking it for some reason that I don't quite understand, since the argument doesn't depend on that definition at all. So for our purposes, we could still formulate the argument saying that God governs the behavior of our physical reality according to specific mathematical equations so that it behaves that way regularly, but a miracle is when he allows that regularity to be interrupted. The end result is the same. The regular way the world behaves is incredibly reliable. So reliable that I have never experienced something physically impossible happening. 
I'll bet you have never witnessed something physically impossible happening either. In fact, among my social group, I have not heard of anyone experiencing anything in their lives that was literally physically impossible. Given that I'm addressing the use of the resurrection argument on someone who was presumably an atheist or agnostic until the cumulative case recently made them to some kind of near theist, chances are they haven't experienced something physically impossible happening. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have been an atheist or agnostic. So what is it that is supposed to convince us that something physically impossible has happened? After all, just because we haven't experienced something doesn't mean it can't happen, right? We can't simply assume that miracles can't happen. Okay, another great clip. Um, I feel like we covered a little bit of this, but what do you think, Bram? Yeah, um, do you want to go first? I, I have a few sure. to write down. I'm just going to collect my thoughts really quick. Yeah, so like by assuming like physically impossible, I'm just going to assume that he needs to make a miracle, which I, when I think of a miracle, I'm just going to say something that would occur that wouldn't occur if atheism is true. Um, it's kind of like how I think about it. Like we think about miracles, like some sort of like guy's intervention in the world or something like that. And it's a very rough definition. Um, and how I think about miracle, but like once again, like he says that like most people are going to assume that physically impossible events, which I'm sure he's referencing his miracles don't happen. And it's like, no, that's just not true. Like, um, like most people, like I'm going to pull up a survey in the, after this next clip where it shows that like in 2007 in America, like 80% of people believed in miracles, which is more than people who were like Christians, um, included like not, not like irreligious people and whatnot. So like, I'm just going to block this idea that like, well, most people just see a, like a regularity in laws of nature and know that there's like nothing beyond those. It's like, no, that doesn't seem to be true. So that's kind of my big um, sticking point at this point. Yeah. And there's some, there seems to be some uh, like an unstated assumption here uh, that he's not making explicit that somehow um, multiple cases of people not experiencing you know, uh, people rising from the dead is somehow evidence against the resurrection. But um, I don't think that's the case because, one, you have the problem of reference classes, which we'll get to in a, you know, in a different clip. But also, um, I think we have good prior reason to expect that God would order the world in such a way um, to where it operates predictably and because, you know, this is the kind of thing that's necessary for moral accountability. So, uh, you know, we'd expect there to be predictable laws of nature. Um, I'm not really sure how that's evidence, you know, against a resurrection. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's building a case. So, it's like, we're just positing is like he's building his case up. It's yeah. so, like he's going in like one big swoop and like he's going to try to make this idea that like there's just this very low prior um, with miracles and you go to like convert like just like different traditions saying different miracles and like he's going to build his trilemma. So, he's building his case, but I'm just trying to show yeah. these points like um, things that like I'm going to disagree with. So, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Lucas is in the comments and he's saying that uh, Keener has cited a lot of firsthand accounts of alleged miracles mm -hmm. as well as Dale Allison. And I'd like to echo that because, yeah, th that's true. Yeah. People are, uh, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, and we're not saying, like, well, Keener says it, therefore it's true, or, like, Allison says it, therefore it's true. It's just, like, a lot of times, like, it's just presumed that, like, certain things, such as, like, maybe, like, um, impossible, like, no one's witnessed, like, an actual miracle. Like, th these things are just assumed when it's, like, well, most people are actually going to disagree with you. Um, but, yeah. Christians and other religious believers would tell us that the testimony of others should be enough to justify belief in miracles. After all, we get an incredible amount of our beliefs purely through testimony from other people. All that cool science we learn about? Most of us don't do the experiments to prove anything. We simply learn about it, maybe from a more trusted source like a peer-reviewed textbook, and we simply accept it and move on. The problem is that while testimony is absolutely a valid way to infer knowledge, testimony also has its faults. Many of us have been lied to, or someone was just incorrect, and by trusting their testimony, we were incorrect by inference. So at the end of the day, we have to weigh our two sources of knowledge and see what we trust more, the reliability of our inductive experience of the world where we presumably we've not really experienced anything physically impossible happening versus testimonial claims about physically impossible things happening in ways you can't verify. Given the two, my first argument is that I trust my inductive experience of the world more than I trust testimony which I know to be faulty. I have a lot more inductive experience of the way the world works adhering to the laws of nature than I do about testimony being always reliable. This was Hume's point. Testimony in principle can't overcome our inductive experience of the world. My argument is that this is true in almost all cases, with only one exception for young children getting testimony from their parents when they are too young to do anything but accept that testimony from a reliable source and treat it as knowledge. That said, in almost all cases, we are right to be skeptical when someone tells us something that wildly violates our background knowledge. This doesn't mean our background knowledge is always correct. After all, some of the most memorable science lessons involve learning something that generally violates our background knowledge and then having that fact be demonstrated to us in verifiable experiments. I want to stress. Okay. The yeah. Place to pause here. What are your thoughts, Bram? 
Um, well, he started out by saying that a lot of Christians say that we should just believe miracle claims based on testimony. And uh, I actually don't know any Christian that thinks so simplistically. Um, it's not true that you should just believe miracle claims based on testimony as a category by itself, because there are differing kinds of testimony. Um, some testimony is better than others. Um, for example, and I'm going to give a kind of a list of, you know, uh, criteria for miracle claims uh, that we can use to sift through the bad and the good ones later. But l let me just, you know, suggest one. Um, if testimony to an event um, is spread around in a hostile environment, I think we can be, we can trust that testimony more than if that testimony um, is spread around in a in an environment favorable to the spread of that story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. And the only thing I would add here is just like, once again, like, oh, it's not so, oh, you can zoom in. Okay, so this is a survey from Pew done in 2007. You can, it should be linked down below, but if it's not, you can say like um, um, belief in like miracles among non-religious, it's a Pew survey, really good stuff. Um, and like, even yeah. among like unaffiliated people, if you look here, um, the cursor, 55% of the religiously unaffiliated, so in uh, 2007, of, they surveyed 5,048 people, they believe in miracles. So, like, this isn't, like, reserved to, like, Christians. Like, he's going to talk about, like, the mere theist um, a little bit and saying, like, well, it's going to question their case with, like, what they can know about, like, the resurrection and whatnot. But, like, even, like, among, like, the religiously unaffiliated, there seems to be, like, this common belief that, yeah, miracles are possible. Um, so just to say to that point, like, no, like, it's not like most people agree that, like, there's this uniform way nature works and there's nothing beyond this. It seems like even among, like, people that aren't, like, ascribed to, like, a particular religious tradition, like, there is a common belief that, like, miracles actually happen. Yeah, and I want to shout out my friend um, Caleb Jackson here. He's actually working on a book right now um, documenting many, many, many contemporary miracle claims, and he's convinced by them. And, well, yeah, when that book comes out, I'll be excited to read it. Um, yeah. But yeah, just just goes to show you that these things cannot be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Well, we're making good progress, so we'll get on to this next clip. Stress that this conclusion holds, even if you are a mere theist, especially a recently convinced mere theist. After all, a god can exist, but just not interfere with the physical world. Even if a god could resurrect someone, in your inductive experience in the world, how many times have you witnessed a god raise someone from the dead? It is a virtual certainty that even if a god exists, it doesn't do that. Does my moon lunch scenario become any more plausible if I amend it to say, God transported me to the moon for lunch and then sent me back home for Earth for dinner in the same day? If I were to try and use a defense in a murder trial that my concealed carry handgun levitated out of my holster and fired on my hiking companion in the middle of the woods, all to the sound of a demon taunting us, would the jury accept or reject that claim? Would you want the jury to accept that claim? Perhaps you might be thinking that this is a little too quick of a dismissal, regardless of how practical my inference above might be. After all, this is supposed to be about the resurrection argument being used on a newly converted mere theist who now believes that supernatural agents can interfere with the material world. Wouldn't it be closed-minded just to reject the total evidence we have available regarding the physically impossible occurring, even if the counter-evidence we have is all based on testimony? I think that even in this scenario, with the newly convinced theist starts to consider the total amount of evidence for miracle claims, they should still reject the testimonial evidence for those miracles occurring or be forced into disconnecting a miracle occurring from providing evidence for the truth of religion. Let's talk. Okay. Lots of stuff here, Bram. Um, oh, I, sorry. Yeah. I realized I didn't play it on the screen. Um, and counter-apologist, you are amazing and it's good to see you in the chat. Um, but yeah, so, and I'm sorry that I didn't play your black screen with text on <laughs> our screen. Um, but yeah, Bram, what are your thoughts here? Um... This is going by so quickly, so I'm having a hard time remembering this stuff. Do you remember the example he, that he gave specifically? He said something like, um, would, would this scenario become all the more plausible if we said that God did it? Do you remember the example? He yeah, gave? so in a couple, he talks about, he talks about one about like the scenario like where him and his friend go camping um, and like his friend gets shot. And it's like, well, what if I say it was a demon? Like, well, like a jury's not going to accept that. And he talks about like saying that like, well, God took me to like the moon and back for lunch. Um, so like a couple scenarios like that. Yeah, so um, scenarios like that, no, of course it's not, doesn't make it, you know, the scenario more plausible if we just suggest that God or a demon did it. Um, we'd have to have prior reason to expect that God would do something like this. And in the case mm -hmm. of the resurrection, I think we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Like, that's one of the things I thought about is, like, um, you have to look at, like, the prior probability of God doing certain things. Like, it seems like... Um, 
like if there's some reason to like vindicate Jesus or something, well, that's going to raise your prior probability um, of like a resurrection compared to like going to like the moon and back or something like that. Um, yes. So like there's a lot of things we have to consider, like when we're like considering like the possibility of like miracles. Um, Cause I think things like healings or even like resurrection seem to be more potentially like in line with God's things uh, purposes than like just taking to someone to the moon and back. Um, and with the mere theist, like should the mere theist see like these things, like um, a healing or a resurrection is equally likely as like, like a divine space tour. Like, it seems like to me, like healings and miracles are just more likely of a thing. Cause it's more of like what we actually people claim to experience um, with regards to like miracles and whatnot. Um, so we talked about God having possible direct reasons to resurrect Jesus, which could raise the prior probability, such as like vindicating his teaching. Or if like, if you believe in the Christian God, um, there's a teaching that like God will raise and bring Jesus to life. Um, there's also this question of something interesting with like raising the priors. Like, um, why should the mere theist potentially think that there's like some prior probability to like the resurrection? And I'm going to say that like, if you believe that God created the world um, and you're a mere theist, like surely like there's a good reason to think that God would want to reveal himself. Um, and I'm fine with it being applied to like other religious, like central claims like the Quran or Book of Mormon. Like, um, but, like surely like God might want to actually like reveal himself. If he went, if he went through all this business of like creating the universe. Um, so yeah. That's why everybody needs to read Swinburne's book he does a really good job um of assessing the prior probability um but you know one example another example i give to illustrate what i think to be the flaw in um counter apologist argument okay so let's imagine a guy has died no context the guy is dead and then suddenly god raises him from the dead now, let's imagine a second scenario in which a guy has died, and then a lot of Christians, um, relatives, you know, church friends, etc., gather around, and they start praying for him in Jesus' name. They start praying all night, you know, God, please raise this man, do this for your glory, etc. And the man raises from the dead. Um, in the second scenario, we have... God seems to do seems to be doing much less of an arbitrary thing, right? And so, again, the the difference between the first and the second scenario is that in the first scenario we we don't we can't come um, assuming that God has as many prior reasons to raise this guy from the dead. It just seems just seems like a random thing that he actually does. In the second reason, in the second scenario, we have much more. Um, prior reason to think that God would raise this guy from the dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, I track because like different degrees of like miracle claims are gonna have different priors and whatnot. Um so mm -hmm. yeah. Good stuff. Talk about why. There are different levels of miracles. Even Christian apologists will differentiate between levels of miracles. The first level that I like to define are those kinds of events that, in principle, could be the result of random chance and have a purely naturalistic explanation, but seem unlikely, and so one is at least tempted to infer supernatural causation due to a religious context. This can be broken down into two subclasses. The first is what I call a minor improbable miracle. Events that are physically possible, though surface level unlikely, but seemingly too trivial or likely to have occurred anyway. These events are the sort that your average believer might say that probably were just pure chance and good luck rather than divine intervention. This would be like praying to find your keys, and then when you open your eyes, you immediately see them. The other is what I would call a major improbable miracle. Events that are physically possible, but highly unlikely to occur. But they do occur in a religious context. Now, admittedly, it's possible that these events could happen by chance and have no divine intervention occurring, but it seems very unlikely, and the religious context makes believers want to admit this is a miracle. A good example would be a person diagnosed with cancer, going back to the doctor a few weeks after their initial diagnosis. But the night before, they went to their church and were prayed over by the entire congregation. Lo and behold, when they get their next check, the cancer has gone into spontaneous remission. This happens naturalistically, albeit in a small percentage of cases, including in non-religious contexts, but the religious context gives the believer a reason to think it was a miracle. Very often, atheists and skeptics will say that in either of these scenarios, we should immediately reject the supernatural explanation because any possible naturalistic explanation, however unlikely, is far more likely than a divine agent causing a miracle. This has some weight with me personally, but then I'm still an atheist, and I tend to weigh my inductive experience of the regularity of the physical world very highly. But I do think that this is not the only reason I think we ought to prefer the naturalistic explanation for these miracles. Still, Atheists often go too far with this line of reasoning. They go so far as to claim that the theist is being unreasonable or irrational in believing that these kinds of miracles that are possible but improbable happen. One of the okay, um, Bram, you still there? 
Yeah. There you are, Mr. Face. Um, good to see you. And of course, Counter Paul just leaves right as I put the screen up and show his beautiful black screen. Um, so hopefully you still love me. Um, but Bram, what are your thoughts here? Well, um, he seemed to just be distinguishing between different kinds of miracle claims. So I don't really have mm -hmm. anything to, um, you know, contest here. Yeah. But yeah, that's literally like on my notes. I'm like, for this part, I'm like, for the sake of this video, I really don't have an issue with this part. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll keep on going. Good job. Yeah. One of the best defenses for the reasonableness of justified belief in these miracle claims comes from Christian theologian and apologist Randall Rouser. Here, he references Alvin Plantinga's reformed epistemology, where he points out that a Christian who has a properly basic belief in Christianity, either due to an innate sense of the divine telling her that Christianity is true, or being raised in a Christian context and given testimony from his trusted authority figures like her parents. What's key here is that the Christian belief is a properly basic belief. It is pre-evidential. Given this set of background knowledge, it is entirely rational for this Christian to come across testimony of a major improbable miracle happening in a Christian context and attribute that event as the divine action of her God. This is because literally everyone assesses the plausibility of a claim on how it comports with their background knowledge. Since the truth of Christianity is part of this Christian's background knowledge due to the rules set out in Reformed epistemology, it is reasonable for her to believe it is a miracle. Conversely, Randall readily admits that what is doing the work here is the background plausibility structure of her Christian life experience, not the evidence of a specific miracle claim. Indeed, Randall readily admits that an atheist hearing the same evidence is similarly rational and justified in rejecting the miracle claim and attributing the event to pure, unlikely, natural circumstances. I happen to think that Randall's account here is a good one. If there's anything wrong with his account, it is because there was some problem with Plantinga's reformed epistemology, which I am granting as valid for the sake of argument here. But wait, if I'm granting that it's rational for a Christian to believe in these improbable miracles, wouldn't I also have to grant it's rational for the case of a newly convinced mere theist to be convinced that miracles have occurred? No, because what is doing the work in Randall's scenario is the pre-existing basic belief in a specific religion, which the mere theist does not have. The mere theist in this hypothetical case is not considering the total amount of evidence on offer. Okay, so... Interesting stuff here, Bram. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to comment on um, reformed epistemology because <laughs> I don't have the credentials to do that. Uh, yeah. I haven't delved into that topic. Um, mm -hmm. I've read planning as warranted Christian belief or part of it. Um, and I know that there's, you know, a debate between uh, an externalist kind of epistemology and an internalist epistemology and all that. So I, I feel like that's just a topic I'm not prepared to comment on. Yeah. No, I mean, reformed epistemology is fine with me, like for the sake of this video and whatnot. Um, and like, once again, like, I'm just going to say like the mere theist probably believes in miracles. Like, well, one, the mere theist is probably going to believe that like God created the universe. Um, so that's kind of a big thing. I mean, this question of like, if I was a mere theist, like, well, if God created this universe, well, why is there some sort of purpose? Um, well, maybe that raise the probability of like certain religions being true. Cause maybe God wanted to reveal himself or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just basically agree with that. And I mean, like, obviously justification is person-based. Like if you are really convinced that like God does not exist, like then yeah, it's going to take a lot of evidence to believe a miracle. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I'm fine with most of that. So, and, and here might be a good spot to, to comment on just his unstated assumption, um, concerning background evidence and his unstated assumption concerning background evidence is that the relative background ev evidence um, for assessing the prior probability of Jesus's resurrection is looking at how many people have not risen from the dead. And I think that there's a huge problem with this, and it's the problem of reference class. And I would say that Jesus's unique identity, um, you know, his, his moral teachings, his um, implicit and explicit claims to be the Messiah and to be um, one with God, to be God himself, all put him in this unique category, in a unique reference class. And um, as far as I know, the only amount of people that actually fit in that reference class, um, well, I think there's one, and it's Jesus. And so we have to assess the prior probability of Jesus' resurrection, not, not by looking at how many people have not risen from the dead, um, but I think by looking at, you know, reasons why we should expect God to vindicate Jesus in some way. And I think we have good reasons to think that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Let's get into this next clip. Counting Mike's retelling of near-death experiences. I do want to say, we just jumped ahead about six minutes. So what he did here is he had a couple clips from Lacona talking about miracles and then like just miracle claims from other religions. And here's kind of the point of like showing this. 
and then reading near-death experiences of people around the world who observe non-Christian faiths, talking about how they saw things that were in line with their religion's vision of the afterlife, and those who claim to have seen figures of all the world's religions commingling in some kind of feel-good afterlife party. What Lacona and many apologists do is commit the fallacy of understated evidence. This is where the general fact of the situation supports one's conclusions, but the specific facts of that same situation end up undermining your conclusion. The general fact that there are a lot of non-verifiable, implausible miracle claims would seem to support the idea that a supernatural realm exists. However, once we look more closely at the data, the specific details undermine the idea that the supernatural exists, or at the very least, that miracles can serve as evidence for the truth of a specific religion. We see a wide variety of equally well-attested miracle claims that would be strong evidence for contradictory religions. This ends up putting the theist in a trilemma. One, some of the miracles occurred, but not others, but we are left with no objective way to determine which were true and which were false. Two, all of the miracles occurred, but then miracles can't be used as evidence for the truth of the theological teachings of the miracle workers. Or three, none of the miracles actually occurred, and the testimony is based on fabrication and or legends. To understand why we are left thinking the most probable option in the trilemma is that all of these improbable miracle claims are false, we need to look at the second class of miracles that I alluded to earlier. Miracle. Okay, so here he's at yeah. this trilemma. Um, so what are your thoughts, Graham? Well, I think that the, the first um, prong of that trilemma is um, wrong. I, I don't think that, first of all, I, I don't think that all these miracle claims um, are equally well attested. And I don't think that we are stuck in a dichotomy of either having to accept them all and take them at face value or having to reject them all. And so um, I put together a list. A lot of it was based on uh, Tim McGrew's work um, of criterion that we can use uh, to distinguish good miracle claims from bad miracle claims. So one is geographical distance. Um, if an event, let's say, is reported to have happened in India, but the report itself is written in, I don't know, Jerusalem, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem because mm -hmm. um, no one is likely to travel to India to actually check to make sure that, you know, there are any remains of that event happening or anything like that. Um, temporal distance is also important. You know, um, a report of an event that's written 30 years after the fact is of much more evidential value than a report of an event written 300 years after the fact. Open inquiry, so perhaps um, an event which leaves behind traceable remains which anybody can go and check for themselves. And I would argue that the empty tomb um, is such a traceable remain. Um, environment, is the environment favorable or hostile? Um, so in other words, if I report an event, you know, let's say I saw you levitate, Zach, mm -hmm. and <laughs> you have much more reason to trust my weird claim if I'm reporting that in an environment where the sword is against me rather than in an environment where it's pointed away from me. Um, does the does the miracle claim confirm or disconfirm pre-existing opinions? In the case of the resurrection, it certainly does not, um, because you know messianic messianic expectations um, before Jesus's resurrection were very different than after Jesus's resurrection. Um, are human motives like money, power, and sex served? And lastly, do we have prior reason to think that God would perform this miracle? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's super good. Um, we do have a super chat before getting to my thoughts. So thank you so much, Caleb Jackson, which says, um, how, have you all account apologists read books on medically documented miracles, such as Keener Brown, Duffin, um, you missed testimony, but not MRI. I mean, I've read a little bit of Keener's miracles. I haven't finished it yet. And then I've read a little bit on NDEs, but I don't know if that kind of, that's probably not going to be the same category. So I don't know if you have anything, Bram. Caleb, I'm just waiting for your book to come out. <laughs> he's gonna say i read caleb jackson that's what bram's gonna say and i'm hopefully gonna read caleb jackson too it sounds really yeah, cool so I, thank you so much for your super chat caleb i'm aware of some uh medically documented reports but again that might be a little outside of my uh expertise if you want to call it that yeah and like once again i'm just gonna get back to like the, the clip from john the counter apologist and like I don't have any problem with supernatural events in other religions like maybe smith healed someone because like in my religious view like God, there's other supernatural beings. And I think it's the biblical worldview. Um, 
seems to express that there are other supernatural yeah. beings that have some level, some level, not the same as like Yahweh, um, it's same, some level of power in this world to like do things like that. Um, so I think when we're looking at like the truth of a religion, like how do we evaluate the th- things, there's going to be a relevant difference with regards to like um, the truth of the religion. So like the truth of Christianity hangs on the resurrection. Um, the truth of like the Book of Mormon hangs on like did Joseph really get those plates? Um, the Quran is like the, the word for word recitation of like uh, a lot or something like that. Um, kind of spitballing here. So like those things are going to be, I think, a lot more like in a prior probability sense, more likely to be true because they're dealing with like religiously significant claims on like whether it's true or not. Um, and then a resurrection is like, obviously, that's obviously gonna be a big difference. And like, I'm fine with that with different worldviews. And like, if you read like miracles by Craig Keener, he talks about like, um, Jesus's miracles are very different than other miracle workers in, in the world at, at the time. Like the only one that's similar is Apollonius of Tyrna, um, who's going to appear in the third century, um, way after the Christian miracle circuit stories are known. So like, there's a very big oh, difference yeah. here in the Christian story. Well, so yeah. I mean, the, but the evidence for Apollonius of Tyana is is terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This was straight up fabricating some of them, that material. And that's demonstrably true. And, you know, it comes hundreds of years or about a century and a half after, um, after Jesus's, uh, after the gospels, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say something, but I can't remember what I was going to say. So <laughs> I might come back to it. We can play the next clip because we got a few more and maybe it'll come yeah. back to you. So, yeah. Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Miracles that happen. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it won't take long. Yeah, I would I would agree with you that I think Christianity allows for miracles and supernatural events to occur in other religions. And I think the Bible actually teaches that. Um, mm-hmm. In Exodus, you know, you have the Egyptians being able to produce miracles. And some Christians might say, well, we shouldn't take that literally or anything like that. But interestingly enough, it's only when you take the Bible more literally rather than less literally that you actually um, get a Christianity that allows for other miracles um, in other religions. So, yeah. Yeah. A little bit counterintuitive, actually. (laughs) ...that have no natural explanation. The second class are miracles that do something physically impossible. These miracles would have no naturalistic explanation whatsoever. Examples of these sorts of things abound in religious texts and other accounts. Raising people from the dead after a sufficient period of time has elapsed past death would be a great example. This category, much like the previous one, has two types. The kind that are not empirically verifiable, like one-off events. One example would be if a prophet were to tell a scientist who is measuring the momentum of a particle that particle's exact position. Heisenberg uncertainty principle tells us that we cannot know the exact momentum if we also measure the exact position. So it would be a miracle to have both values, but we could never verify the value that we were given was correct. Miracles could be empirically verifiable in the moment, but then quickly lapse into being non-verifiable, like Jesus walking on the surface of unfrozen water. While verifiable to those present, it quickly would become unverifiable once he got off the water. The other version of this miracle are the kind that are empirically verifiable. So ones where we would have extensive empirical evidence regarding someone having an amputated limb and then living that way for some time, say reliable medical records, photos, videos of them without the limb, only to have the limb regrow, preferably with the miracle taking place on video. Another could be a set of rocks floating in the air continuously for thousands of years in an area that spell out, I am the Lord God and Jesus is my son, written out multiple times in multiple languages. Finally, there is the third example that is not often considered. God continually working miracles that are physically impossible through adherence of the one true religion, consistently and in empirically verifiable ways. The last example is important because in all but a few cases, the empirical verifiability of a miracle is a time-limited thing. An amputation that occurred a couple hundred years ago healed by a prayer would be empirically verifiable to those at the time, but would not be empirically verifiable today. The event lapses into being non-verifiable. Only the second kind, where the miracle was done in perpetuity, could it be verified over time. Okay, um, good place to cut off here for a moment, Bram. Um, do you have any more thoughts and things that we haven't really covered yet? Yeah, well... Um even if a miracle is not directly verifiable, I think we're still justified in believing it if we have sufficient um, trustworthy testimony about that miracle. And I would Mm -hmm. say that in the case of Jesus's resurrection, we do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think there's any reason to arbitrarily cut off um, historical testimony as evidence that can be, can be validly used to believe a miracle claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like once again here, like I don't think they like got some sort of like lab dummy where you have to like, like he has to like oblige to respond in some sort of like repeatable, testable way to like do miracles. Um, like this is gonna get a little bit into like divine hiddenness. Like I'm sure like we think like God is hidden to some degree because um, it allows for certain things such as like creature freedom and like autonomy and things, which may be good because it may help us to like have a deeper relationship with God and whatnot. Um, so like 
I think we're in a situation where like it's reasonable to believe in miracles, and like I think it's also reasonable to not believe in miracles. Like I, I'm not like going to scream from the hilltop like atheism is irrational or something. Mm-hmm. I just think that like there's good evidence both like ugh, I'm not going to say there's good evidence both ways because I think it very it leans very much in like favor of miracles, but like like God like God's hidden to some degree because it allows us to come to like reason and think about these things and try to make our own decisions and not just be like forced to come to certain conclusions because it's just like there's just no way a rational person could deny um, like the negation or something. Yeah. Well, and, and I think um, this is why I'm excited for part two when we're going to be actually talking about the historical posterior evidence. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where the crux of the resurrection argument comes from. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good plug for part two, which should be out in a few weeks. We have to schedule it and figure it out because this is a long video. It's like an hour long. So we're just, cutting it in half but yeah plug for the future or where we have believers able to do the miracle throughout generations now when evaluating the second class of miracles we should note that the first class of these physically impossible miracles are a lot like the other cases of what i call improbable miracles in that they are not verifiable in order for either side to not beg the question we cannot really know whether these miracles actually occurred what's more if we just accept all testimony about these kinds of non-verifiable miracles at face value then various contradictory religions around the world have many testimony-based claims of this sort meaning that miracles can no longer count as evidence of the truth of theological teachings of the miracle workers so again like the last category we're left with a trilemma one, some of the miracles occurred, but not others, and we are left with no objective way to determine which were true and which were false. Two, all of the miracles occurred, but then miracles can't be used as evidence for the truth of the theological teachings of the miracle workers. Or three, none of the miracles actually occurred, and the testimony is based on fabrications and or legends. What gets interesting is that the final category of the physically impossible miracle ends up being evidence for the third option where none of the miracles have occurred. Okay, um, what do you think here, Bram? He's getting back to that trilemma. Yeah, and I would, I would uh, restate my objection to the first prong of the trilemma. I, I don't think we have any reason um, to accept this false dichotomy that he's proposing between, you know, accepting all miracle claims, which he just assumes are um, equally well substantiated, or accepting none of them. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like, they, once again, like... To get into the weeds and actually do the historical work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, once again, it's going to have to come down to, like, the, especially, like, the religiously significant miracles. Like, so, like, if you have, a, like, a Christian view of things in which there's spiritual beings like demons or, like, things in other religions, then the probability of expecting, like, miracles in other religions, like, you'd expect that. Like, so, like, potentially, like, if your yep. worldview, like, allows for, spir- like, other things, like, other spiritual beings, mm-hmm. then potentially you're going to expect these miracles in other religions. Like, this isn't, like, something that, like, the Christian can't accept or something like that. Um, and then, once again, like, we're going to get into these, like, religiously when i think there's a relevant different when we're looking at like religiously significant miracles that establish like the truth of the religion or whatnot like the resurrection or like the golden plates of like mormonism or something like that then like i think there's gonna be a higher probability these certain things assuming like if you're if you believe god exists because like maybe god actually wants to like reveal himself after going through like the trouble of creating a universe and whatnot um so i'm just yeah. gonna kind of I, that's how I'd probably block the trilemma is saying that just because there's miracles in other religions, um, that doesn't mean that necessarily that we cannot come to theological truths. Because I think there's relevant differences between different like kinds of miracle claims. Moreover, I think we can say that the resurrection has a higher higher prior probability than these other, you know, supposed miracles. Um mm-hmm. and there I would just appeal to Swinburne's work where he argues that we have prior reason to think that God would come become incarnate because he wants to share in our suffering. He wants to provide atonement for sin, um, show us how to lead a moral life, um, etc. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Um, oh, shoot, I'm like on the wrong tab. Let's pull up this next clip. And we have only a few more clips left, so we're making good progress. And if you're listening, I hope you found this edifying and useful. Um, and yeah. But why? Because, in principle, there is nothing categorically impossible or different about the empirically verifiable miracles happening versus any of the other kind. In fact, all of the kinds of miracles are exactly on a par for God to enact. The fact that the kind of repeated, empirically verifiable demonstrations of otherwise physically impossible miracles would be the best kind of evidence for a supernatural being. And if such miracles were only able to be performed by followers of one religion, then it would constitute incredible evidence for the truth of that religion over the others. Why? Because then our experience of the world would give us contemporary evidence to interpret miracle claims from the past and allow us to discern between the wide variety of miracle claims of contradictory religions. This is a case where absence of evidence is evidence of absence. 
We are told that miracles of this sort used to occur in the past. The Christian Bible portrays the apostles and prophets performing verifiable miracles, some even after Jesus' death. We are given no reason to believe that these types of miracles should have stopped occurring while the other non-verifiable ones supposedly continue. Yet we don't see verifiable miracles occurring, so their contemporary absence counts against the historical claims being true. This is one of the principles that justifies the use of what is called methodological naturalism, the idea that in science, history, and other areas of study, as part of our methodology, we presume that metaphysical naturalism is true. Much like a random person you telling you God whisked them away to the moon for lunch with Jesus and then sent them back in time for dinner at home, we disregard these unverifiable miracle claims. Note that this is the case even if we are a theist. Theists would reject my life. Okay, so I just want to go first for your Bram. I'm going to cut, I'm going to go first here. Because <laughs> yeah, okay. I was just thinking about this. So like, like, one hypothetical situations aren't always the most helpful, but like he's just assuming that like most people don't believe in miracles again, which is like, no, like I'm gonna block that notion. Like, um, like my sister was in Zambia for a few months, like and I think it'd be very hard to find hard, very hard pressed to find many people at all in Zambia who like deny the existence of miracles. Like, this is a very like Western post-enlightenment idea that like miracles don't happen. Um and like you talk to like point, you know, we've talked about like Caleb Jackson or like Craig Keener, like there's other people that seem to have these documentations and you know, you can do with them what you want, but like this idea that it's just like these things don't happen. And there's no reason to think they do is, well, I wouldn't say, I don't think he would say that there's no reason to think they would happen. It's just that like, he's going to say, well, like, it seems like we just have this uniform experience. It's like, well, most people don't believe that. So like, um, I don't think it's going to really help his argument. Yeah. I would, I would just echo what you just said there. And I don't think we need to resort to uh, methodological naturalism in order mm -hmm. to explain why we, you know, intuitively know that we should dismiss, you know, the absurd scenario that he gave. That scenario, in that scenario, it would just be, um, well, I would just ask, like, what evidential basis do we have that it happened? And and there I would say, you know, yeah, you probably can weigh your, your background um uh, you know, evidence against the the value of the testimony, and you can go through and see. Okay, is it more plausible that the person who's testifying is lying, or that he was deceived, or that it actually happened, and and so mm -hmm. on? Um, but you don't need to resort to methodological naturalism in order to dismiss that. I don't think that's. I don't even know if that's exactly what he's saying, but um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, let's get into this final clip, and then we can sum things up. And oh, I almost didn't put the last clip up on the screen, and then John would probably be like sad at me forever. And I hope <laughs> we'd still be friends. My lunch on the moon claim, just as much as an atheist would, and for the same reasons, they just make a special exemption for their specific miracle claims. And when pushed, why they make an exemption for their preferred miracles? The only answer they can resort to is their subjective religious experience. While this may provide oh, a rational no. basis for their specific beliefs, <laughs> it carries no weight when convincing someone else, because every religion's believers have contradicting subjective religious experience to justify belief in their miracles. Okay, the only thing I'd add here, because we covered like the diverging like re religious claims of like miracles and whatnot. Like this is only a problem if you say only your like particular religion has miracles. Which, I mean, I'm sure there's some Christians that believe that, like, well, all the, like, Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and everyone else who claims that there's miracles, like, they're all just lying or it's, like, those are all, like, natural explanations. But, like, if you don't accept that, which I don't think most Christians are going to, like, this isn't a problem. Like, you can have religiously divergent miracles. It seems like the biblical thing if you believe that God created other, like, supernatural beings. Um, so that's the only thing I'd have to add with regard to that. Yeah. I'd agree <laughs> with you there. Ooh, that came I out really sloppy. I'd agree with you there. <laughs> I think I had something. I was still swallowing some decaf coffee, so. <laughs> yeah, and I've been talking really fast, and I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, I need sleep, so pray for me if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, you know, like, if you believe in miracles, like, Zach will sleep eight hours tonight, maybe, you know, yep. maybe, potentially. <laughs> um, well, I woke but... up at five this morning, so um, I'm oh, very tired, too. <laughs> God bless you, Bram. <laughs> Thank you um so we're at the end which i'm actually kind of amazed that we got through this in 49 minutes um hopefully we didn't rush through or anything but like bram do you have any kind of like last thoughts or things you want to say with regards to this clip or not this yeah. clip but like this like response as a total yeah um well i do have to say that you know the the philosophy of miracles is not my strong area mm -hmm. um i'm probably gonna have a lot more to say in part two when we actually go through the posterior um, historical evidence. Um, but yeah, I think that I would summarize my case against his case against the resurrection as one 
uh, his his unstated assumption about how we calculate the prior probability of Jesus's resurrection just by looking at how many people in your experience don't rise from the dead um, is is not how one should go about doing this. We should look at um, reasons for why we should expect God to raise Jesus from the dead or not raise Jesus from the dead because G given Jesus's unique character I think he belongs in a different reference class for comparison. Um, and secondly the first prong of his trilemma which he brought up twice I think so far um, we should reject as well because it proposes you know a false dichotomy either um, you have to accept all miracle claims at face value or accept none of them and I listed seven criteria that we can use to distinguish between uh, trustworthy miracle claims and non-trustworthy miracle claims and so yeah and I don't buy the mm -hmm. the assumption as well that all these miracles are on uh, or that all these miracles are equally well substantiated so yeah yeah that's helpful um, I think there's I'll just highlight a few of my like main disagreements is so like one I'm gonna disagree that like like the Christian or like someone else has to reject like miracles occurring in other religions. Like if your worldview allows for like supernatural beings that can impact other religions, then you don't have to like block this notion of miracles happening in other religions. Um, I think there's going to be relevant difference when we're looking at like religiously significant miracles. Like, so like for the mere theist or someone like that, like if you assume that God exists and he like, he created the universe, like, well, maybe he'd have re some reason for like verifying like a religiously significant miracle, like a resurrection, or you could use that to other religions. Um, because that's how, like, maybe, like, God wanted to reveal himself to the world, showing, like, hey, I created this and, like, follow this path. Um, yep. So those are probably, like, my two biggest things, and we highlighted some of the other ones. Uh, I do want to say, like, I chose this video, like, not because, like, I think it's, like, some, like, easy knockdown video, but because I think, like, John has a really valuable opinion, and, like, these are things that aren't, like, talked about. Like, because if there's, like, an infinitely small prior probability of a resurrection, it doesn't really matter how good your evidence is, because mm -hmm. um, it'd have to overcome yeah. that really low prior. So, like, that's one of the things, reasons I chose this is, like, he brings up some points worth thinking about. It's just, like, we disagree. Um, and, yeah, we can dialogue, you know? This is part of just searching for truth, and I appreciate that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're, much, they're much easier videos you could have chosen. Trust me. <laughs> There's <laughs> yeah. some really, really bad ones out there on YouTube, and uh, this is one of the, the better ones. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that <laughs> I sounded cogent. Like, I was worried as I was talking. I'm like, am I going to be so sleep-deprived that, like, I don't make sense? Um, but yeah, enough about me. It's been so much fun, Bram. I was worried about that too. Honestly, we're, we're in the same boat. <laughs> I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to look back on this, um, this interview tomorrow and I'm, I'm going to be like, what was I talking about? <laughs> I was in a different, I was in a different mental state. <laughs> this is why, I, this is why I take notes because it helps me kind of keep track of my thoughts. And I don't just like come yeah. up with something like off the cuff and it's like, Oh yeah. So good stuff, Bram. Um, yeah, I mean, your link down below, you can follow us. And yeah, it's been a lot of great, lot of great fun. And I appreciate everyone who tuning in um, to Caleb and Sudo and Kelvy and John and everyone else. Um, wish you the best. Have a good one. And yeah, thanks, Bram. Thanks again for coming on. Bye, Zach. Thank you. And have a good one, everyone. God bless.